0: welcome to the Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and with me, as always, is my co-host Derek Cohen. He's the Vice President of Policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Today with us, and we'll get to him in just a little bit. We are very excited as as things move from sort of the legislative front and the policy front uh, from our legislative sessions, and things are moving into more of the political season and the election season. Um, we would we thought it'd be it'd be a great time to welcome uh, one of TPPF's newest members. He's the director of our new election protection project. Uh, his name is Josh Finley, and we'll introduce him a little bit later uh, in the show. But we're very excited to talk about that because there's a lot of policy, really, that uh, that goes on around election reform, election integrity. There's a, a lot of crazy things that get said, a lot of uh, of, um, of debate around those issues and, and what they could mean. So we're excited to have him on because he has a very storied and historic record uh, uh, resume. Uh, and so we're very excited to have him and talk to him today. Uh, but first, as always, we do a little bit of uh, shameless self-promotion and kind of getting getting the uh, uh, ins and outs of what's going on, the insider look at what's happening uh, up at the Capitol. And we do that with uh, Derek's, of course, his legislative update. So we'll kick it over to you, Derek, for what's going on at the Capitol.
1: So correct me if I'm wrong. I believe we had our last recording uh, the day before the, the school choice bill was on the floor. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we all know what happened there. Um, (laughs) No, for 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 those take us
0: through the gory details. uh,
1: The gory details, indeed, indeed. So, as you know, HB one was on the uh, the floor. Uh, Obviously, the um, those who carry water for uh, the Educarat establishment, you know, had sounded the alarm that oh, we're gonna get those those nasty ESAs out of there. uh, Hopefully, in them trying to preserve the financial component, where just a windfall for. Uh, the district financial officers you know mm-hmm. actually some of it though at least would have would have gone to teachers but again i i hasten to add that the state does not set teacher salaries right. uh you know for the nth time but that being said that was what was on the floor the day after we recorded what happened was there was a good amount of discussion point of order here called point of order there called uh, and then they came up with an amendment to actually strip out the education savings uh, account pr- uh, component of that,
0: right? So take out the part that parents want and just leave yeah. in all the money for the districts.
1: Yeah, and and to be honest with you, it was a very paltry part of a very expensive bill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I saw it, I saw it referred to online. Somebody said that it's basically a you know a school choice pilot project. Um, which I I think I think is a bit dismissive but not entirely inaccurate just because of again this is a a, a very uh, to, uh toe dip in the water if you look at both the terms of the overall statewide educational outlay as well as the uh number of kids that would be serviced but right. again it beats the heck out of you know nothing yeah, right? right and so yeah that was and here's where it gets interesting so that amendment gets proposed that amendment gets stuck on um that then, again, not going into the entire parliamentary chicanery of this, but essentially they then ensconced it in a way that that on second reading it cannot be uh, removed, say from a reconsideration or or something uh, like that.
0: So or, they were successful in stripping out the ESAs and then basically locked it in that there yeah. was no way to prevent that. And, and
1: then, it. and again, this is something that I've torn my hair out to, you know, at the end of the uh, the. Uh, regular session you know we've we gone back and forth on uh, H- was it was HBB 4390 uh wherein if something leaves per the house's own rules if something leaves the house um you know that expressly omits something and the senate puts it back in then it's per se out of order you know this is I, by the way there's no precedent of this and <laughs> even in parliamentary circles i mean so this is just i mean you know we can we can do a whole separate episode on on, right. on House, the House parliamentarian uh, parliamentarians I should say but that's neither here nor there for this just suffice it to say that that was pulled out frozen and then uh, the author of the bill Chairman Buckley who I, who I might have to add deserves all the praise in the world for walking this narrow path between mm-hmm. the advocates the opponents. And so on and so forth, uh, then pulled the bill down and yeah. uh, recommitted it to his committee. Um, I don't it's still so technically it's still active. Yeah, it could still pass. Um, I just as I've said here before, I don't know how you change that bill where these people that are so lashed to the mast on um, opposing uh, any element of school choice because they feel it's their sacred ox getting gored. They're so lashed to the mast. I don't know. I don't know if there's any negotiating with those terrorists. So that being said is you know will it come up? It is possible, is it probable? Absolutely not. So the
0: upshot is because the opponents of of school choice, because the opponents of parent empowerment are so opposed mm-hmm. to parents having a little more leverage to to against the schools or against you know or, or at least a little more leverage to try and get the schools to be more responsive to yeah. them. They're so opposed to that that they're willing to leave billions and billions and billions of dollars on the table, including teacher salaries and better benefits and things like that, because they're so opposed to the. Pandemic. Yeah, and, I mean,
1: th- well, that's I think I think you're you're charitably stipulating to their talking point because again, you know, I saw I got I got a uh, or I've seen a mailer that a particular candidate who is. Uh, gonna have some, uh, let's just say an interesting uh, an interesting winter um, sent out saying, don't let them take your uh, tax relief in the form of vouchers. This individual obviously voted against it. Of course, we can talk about how the Vaders already have taken uh, tax relief in the form of vouchers. But all that to say is, again, this does not this is not money for private schools. It's money for students that might end up going. To, it might, but it also goes co-curricular supportive therapy, all these yeah, different yeah, yeah. things that the ESA covers, you know, is essentially being reduced to this, which I think it's they've they've had to have message tested Because I'd certainly know that the legislators that are saying, oh, this is all money for private. They can't be that stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, they tie their shoes every day but that being said is that's where they're again lashed to the mass on and now that's why we're seeing uh, certain political
0: ramifications uh, uh, arising from that I don't know the Skechers have the new slip-ons so we'll have to see who's wearing those uh,
1: Yeah, shout out, shout out Nike flyies <laughs> you know um... <laughs>
0: um, okay so that's school choice yeah. it, it is uh, you know we don't want to say it's dead but um, at this point um, it certainly has moved over from it would
1: take a festivist
0: miracle you take a, take a miracle for this session and then we'll see what happens next year I mean mm-hmm. that's the other thing is that there have been uh, indications by both the governor and lieutenant governor of a willingness to mm. to do this again uh, uh, next year and call another special session. So, well, so as, again, you know, as the governor said, the difference between this and a football game is that there's no time clock on <laughs> on special sessions, and he can call them whenever he wants to. So, yeah. all right. But we also, and before we get to Josh, because I definitely want to get into a deep discussion on our election integrity efforts. Um, but talk to me a little bit about SB four and um, sure. the the immigration law that that is heading to the governor's desk.
1: Uh, well, well SB four, though, that actually, I mean, that's a you know, you said heading to the governor's desk. That's a success story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the one we discussed when we had um, uh, Celine in here. Um, mm-hmm. This is the one that basically requires that. And again, we have to clarify because everybody says that this has, you know, this is about targeting asylum seekers. I if you if a individual is illegally crossing between, you know, between a point of entry, I'm sorry, a port of entry, which is what <laughs> crossing between a port of entry is per se illegal. Right. This would have them uh, them being uh, DPS or local law enforcement take these individuals to a port of entry. Yeah, please point out to me where the yeah. where the problem is. So, but anyway, <laughs> so I, law enforcement
0: officers it, seeing yeah. somebody doing something illegal, stop them, arrest hey, them, and take them to the port of now, entry. Now, imagine if somebody and else hand else them over comm- to the federal government.
1: Exactly. Imagine you have somebody else committing a crime, and all the police officer did was go, "Hey, go a block that way." Yeah. So that's it. it, It's it's a ridiculous. I know we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but that's essentially the bill. And it's obviously being castigated as this. Yeah, well, the nonsense you're about to about to talk about uh, well anyway obviously the legislature seen that that was a complete nonsense argument sent it to the governor's desk look forward to seeing that sign very soon
0: right i mean that's a great way to explain it look you have to be in the you know for, for state and local law enforcement i i think first of all people will be amazed that state and local law enforcement are not allowed that we even needed this law in the first mm-hmm. place that right now they're not allowed to see somebody breaking the law and then do something about it which i think kind of blows people's minds that that in 2023 we don't have that that law on the books uh but but now that we do, you know, the, the left is, is is demonizing this, of course, is, oh, well, they're going to you know, this is this is going to give, um, you know, DPS the right to go kick down grandma's door and start asking about her papers and mm-hmm. all this. I mean, it's just complete demonizing, fear mongering nonsense. That's um, all they got, though. Right. And so and, you know, and, and, and in a way to escalate this, of course, because now. Uh, because they're fear-mongering all this. We had an article come out in which they admitted, the left admitted, some Democrats alid- admitted something, uh, which I thought was very interesting. The uh, um, um, the chair of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, who is a Democrat, uh, she said that, that, quote, we met with several of the Mexican consuls here in Dallas, as well as 11 Mexican consuls from across the state. So they met with the Mexican government. Uh, in partnership, we will be putting together an Informational and town halls across the state to educate our community about the impact of Senate Bill 4. So, in essence, they're going to be working with the Mexican government to undermine and attack. SB four, which is the law, which which allows local and state law enforcement to, to essentially do their job. So the cartel
1: suffused Mexican r- government,
0: right? So the, and the cartel, and of course the, the the Mexican government is is effectively a cartel syndicate at this point. They're doing the agenda of the cartels. They work hand in hand uh, to thwart border security efforts um, uh, at the border. And now you have politicians within our own state now colluding with the Mexican government slash cartels. To undermine the very laws we're trying to to use to protect these communities and they're going to be going into these communities attacking these laws. so I uh, just wanted to highlight that, uh, that 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 was that was a that was a uh maybe an unwitting emission uh, on on their part that they're going to be working essentially with the Mexican government and the cartels to undermine Texas law. Uh, but I think it's stunning
1: yeah well i I would say I think I'm just getting to a point of, of cynicism in this particular role where yeah it, uh, it, I, I'm like, huh that's Eyebrow raising, but I wouldn't say shocking anymore, you know, and then, you know, obviously, you know, when you start down, I mean, it's probably a product of the political moment we're in, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you, where everything you don't like is racist. You know, remember any every government that uh, is doing something you don't like, it's fascist. You know, again, it's this this lack of creative imagination in the mind of the left where they have like three words that they can use to describe something. And if something doesn't neatly fit in one of those shoeboxes, they just rip out the side of the shoebox and try to f- try it anyway.
0: All right. Well, if you haven't had your uh, daily dose of cynicism enough yet, we're going <laughs> to get into an issue uh, which which may heighten that a little bit. Uh, but we, w- we definitely want to get to Josh Lindley again. Uh, Josh Lindley is the director of, the, of TPPF's new National Election Protection Project, uh, and he's the former National Director of Election Integrity at the Republican National Committee. He served as legal counsel to presidential campaigns, where he has run an election integrity war room from the White House, served as senior advisor to the campaign's election integrity program, and built out the campaign's legal network. Josh, welcome to The Right Idea.
2: Thank you, Brian and Derek. It's great to be here with you.
0: Uh, And I will mention that Josh is remote uh, with us. He's in he's in D.C. works from uh, from our offices there in D.C. So thank you for being for being remote. This is great. This is new technology. We're innovating, Derek. This is (laughs) this is new. We used to just set up a scarecrow
1: and like put his headshot on it, but
0: you know (laughs) we've Jefferson. We've evolved in our in our (laughs) technology. Um, so anyway, so let's get to Josh. I want to get into this because there's a lot of issues, but first I want you to kind of set it up for us. Uh, this is a new initiative by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. We've worked on uh, election integrity issues here in Texas and worked on some things, but now this is a real national initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're, what you're focused on and what you're hoping to achieve?
2: Sure, sure. Happy to No. Texas Public Policy has a policy foundation has a great history of working on election integrity. You know, the, the organization was very fundamental in getting Texas's Election Integrity Bill passed a couple of years ago. And what we really want to do is expand a lot of the best practices that we're seeing here in Texas to key states across the country. And we're primarily going to be working in the states that everybody knows have a a history of election integrity issues. We'll be working in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, and then, of course, in our own backyard there in Texas. And what we're really going to be focused on is Uh, Focusing on election integrity issues that keep people from voting. You know, uh, right there in your backyard of Harris County, uh, all those issues about machines not functioning properly, running out of ballots, people not being able to vote because of long lines, things like that. Those are the process issues that we're really focused on that we've determined are the things that really keep people from voting. And that's what we want to fix.
0: So um, I want to go to a uh, I want to start here because I think it's really important uh, that we're all on the same page. I I read a recent article um, in which you all were announcing this initiative from the Daily Signal. Um, And this is how you defined election integrity, which I think is a really important place because I think, you know, because what it means to have integrity in your elections could mean different things to different people. I think it's a really important uh, place to start. You said this. We're looking at three things defining election integrity. One, can the election, can the election integrity system accurately identify the people who are going to vote? So one, can we identify the people who are going to vote? Are they, are they who they say they are? Two, can they confirm that they're eligible to vote in that election? Because just because you say you are who you are doesn't mean that you should be able to vote for that congressman or, or for those state reps. Um, and then three, can we securely collect and accurately count the ballots that are going to be processed? So once we know who you are, once we know that you're eligible to vote in that election and then you vote, can we collect them securely and accurately count them so that every, everybody's voice is heard? That, that is a great definition. Talk to me a little bit about why you focus on, on those issues uh, and, and how that informs kind of your policy recommendations and the things that you're looking for in some of these other states.
2: Absolutely. So coming out of the 2020 election, there was a lot of doubt, a lot of confusion, a lot of mistrust about the election process. And a lot of that was the result of these last minute changes that states were making um, because of COVID, right? Some of them were done by legislatures, some of them were done by executive authority, we can talk about how um, how correct legally any of those things were. But the result was these last minute changes led to confusion about who was voting, whether they were eligible eligible to vote, whether people had already cast ballots, things like that. Um, That doubt and mistrust cannot exist in our election process, because that leads to doubt and mistrust in the results. And as you can see across the country, we're still paying the price for those last minute changes in 2020. There is still a significant portion of the population that that doesn't trust our elections. And we've got to go back and start with the basics uh, to provide confidence in the process.
1: And, and Josh, I think you bring up a really good point because about the undermining of confidence and trust. and you know we've been very you know forthcoming on here is saying there's a phenomenon that exists on both sides. Uh, that needs to be uh, that needs to be called out specifically because, you know, I remember starting I mean, geez, starting back in 2016, you know, we had the pre precriminations coming out of the coming out of the uh, Clinton campaign ab- about the actual results. And then, of course, obviously, as Governor uh, Governor. Uh, Stacey Abrams of Georgia would tell you, uh, you know, there was obviously some undermining and some uh, some wish casting in, in the Georgia elections as well. And that's why it's uh, one of them is on the uh, the list. So I think that we as you know, as as uh, Americans all agree that, you know, having a secure have, having an election that both sides, both parties can trust is of ultimate importance. Now, the problem, of course, and where I think the the argument comes a little bit off the rails. Is when people selectively apply that which they call animating principles, right? For example, you know, they would say, you know, they would say, oh, well, you know, this, there was voter suppression in X district because this happened. And then you point out, well, you know, it happened in that one as well, you know, or this district as well. And it turns out like one's for one party and one's for the other. Mm-hmm. What do you see, John, is kind of a, a, how do you see the path to return to normalcy, as it were, <laughs> in the election space?
2: Well, that's a great question, Derek. I think a major issue here is that we see the election process as a political activity, right? The actual casting of votes as a political activity. And therefore, we fight about certain mechanical things that should be common sense, right? So if you look at Luzerne County and what happened there in the 2022 election, the county just ran out of ballots. People weren't allowed to cast votes because they ran out of ballots. It seems absurd that that would be the case. But then you go and look at what happened in Northampton County, Pennsylvania a couple of weeks ago in their municipal election, and they had machines that were flipping votes. Uh, a lot of these things that are, are creating this confusion could be easily preventable by looking at our elections more as a series of transactions than as a political activity. Uh, you know, we spend money electronically and by paper and uh, by card. Every day, you know, companies process millions of transactions and we have confidence in those transactions because of the processes that are checked ahead of time. Um, but we don't do the same thing in our elections. We fight over these processes when there should be objectively best practices like having enough, pa- enough paper in place, checking your machines, making sure that you know exactly who is voting and how many votes they are casting and things like that. These things that should be common sense that, that we're just fighting over. Um, if we could get back to To an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure in our election process, I think we'll be in good shape.
0: And that's one of the things I want to explore because that's a a really important point is that if you can do these reforms on the front end and, and make these changes on the front end to make the elections more secure, you don't have all of that wrangling after the votes are counted. Right. Because then, you know, if if the votes are counted and it goes a certain way, but then they find out that some machines weren't working or that certain people weren't allowed to vote and now they should be able to to cast their ballots because they, you know, after the fact, because they were weren't allowed to cast them on Election Day. And then it changes the. The outcome, then, that's when you have all of the conspiracy theories flying and all of that. And, and to your point, like how important is it is that we you know work on this now? I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think um, you know we we've, we've started this initiative now is because we need to fix these reforms in the context of just getting the election day right mm-hmm. versus trying to change it after the fact whenever we see all of the problems. So so one of the re- one of the things I want to ask you about in that regard is you know this isn't a fifty state um initiative you know you have picked uh these particular states is it because necessarily that they're battleground states and that they could go one way or the other and tip the election and have the most impact excuse me or is it because they these are states that have had problems in the past and need the most attention or maybe a little bit from column a and a column uh, a little bit from column b
2: so i would say primarily we chose these states because they're states with a history of election issues um, if you look back, you know, four to five years in all of these states, they have had histories of, of problems counting votes, of machines functioning properly, um, of things like that. Now, it matters the most in these states because by definition, a battleground state is a state where the race will be close and every vote counts. And we want to make sure that, that we are monitoring the votes that count the most, the closest. Um, as we know... These states are going to be the ones that divide the, decide the presidential election. And no matter how that election turns out, we want to know that the process was followed correctly and that we can trust the results.
0: Uh, Derek, from your perspective, uh, not a lot of election integrity stuff going on this session, mm-hmm. but that was probably the number one issue for the, the last session in 2021. Mm-hmm. How is Texas doing? Has it, has it essentially fixed? I mean, I guess obviously there's some issues with Harris County and maybe mm-hmm. some localized places. Uh, but it has, where do you think Texas stands in terms of its, um, overall election integrity?
1: Uh, let us immortalize that. You said, uh, there's some issues with Harris
0: County. It's so. <laughs> just, just the third largest County in America. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're exactly right. So obviously, you know, we're a biennial legislature. So, you know, the, the, the long wave of COVID had not crested until the, the 21, um, the, the 21 session. But as we saw with, you know, that was a very, very contentious bill. And when I say contentious, I mean, not on what it actually did. It didn't really do anything, you know, outside norm. It just said, hey, you're going to abide by the election law that's already on the books. You're not going to be able to rewrite things on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um and so on and so forth, but of course, that's what led to the uh, that's what led to the uh, the historic uh, quorum. I didn't say historic; they've pulled that <laughs> nonsense before. But uh, it's what led to the the quorum break, um, people walking out on their jobs. And at, at the end of the day, the same bill ended up passing
0: mm-hmm. um, a little bit stronger, actually, prior yeah, to the quorum break.
1: It, it ex- exactly, because I think it also also people got a little bit tired of dealing with that nonsense, mm-hmm. and so. That was, I would say, the the Ragnarok over election in Texas. Now, interestingly enough, you know, Georgia was one of the ones that went through first. Remember, they for their particular uh, election integrity bill, they lost the what was it the ML, uh, MLB All Star Game in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you got you had Joe Biden out there calling it. Uh, what was it Jim Eagle um, or <laughs> so what have yeah, you? Biden, yeah, Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Biden. Either and because yes, apparently. Um, uh, apparently an eagle is a, a greater form of crow. Um, I'll have to I, I watch a lot of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I don't know if they weigh into that in the crow stuff. Uh, but that being said, is they kind of took a lot of the national heat for that. But what we saw in Georgia, what we saw in uh, Texas was the not only did the voter rolls grow, you know, ex, I don't know it exponentially, but grow from that. We saw a larger percentage voting after that. So if this was supposedly a, a a exercise in voter suppression, it came about it came about the exact opposite result. Now maybe that's because people saw this and they were more engaged. Whatever the case might be, but let's just say that the the recriminations from uh, folks on the left who think that you know showing an ID you know showing an ID is a second coming of the uh, uh, of the Reichstag, right? It it just it, it never came into being. So what we saw this session, you know, and a little bit in the subsequent sessions. Um, uh, I'm sorry. A little bit in uh, uh, session subsequent to 21 was a little bit of, of of nibbling around the edges. Remember, we talked about Chairman Betancourt's bill about uh, a person can't live in a post box, uh, right, you know, right? Things yeah. like that. But but basically, <laughs> out. yeah, basically just just things like you know things like that. So I would say the not the omnibus level thing that we had in 21. But more of the uh, tightening up the edges. But like this, this we did have a couple uh, election bills, I would say, go through the legislature, or, or should I say, attempt to go through the legislature, uh, one including ranked choice voting. Um, but we really didn't see anything that w- I would consider uh, Titanic. But I would like to take that opportunity, if you don't mind, and ask Josh. So, Josh, ranked choice voting seems to be a, a, a hot topic. Uh, you know, it. I, I've seen it considered basically the panacea of, any form of civic strife that are that, that that political that comes about from political disagreement can you give us kind of a a 30,000 foot view of what ranked choice voting is how it works and then kind of give us an assessment of you know does it solve these problems
2: sure so ranked choice voting is a system where instead of a, of getting a ballot and you you make your selection the person that you want to vote for and then you submit that ballot and all the ballots are tallied at the end of the election And this is
1: across per race
2: yes per race per race essentially what happens in ranked choice voting is you've got a list of all the candidates that are running for that office and you rank them in order you fill in a circle for your top choice and then a second choice and a third choice and so on all the way down the ballot and what gets tricky here, essentially, is is how the counting happens, because as they tally the votes, if people, um, if your candidate does not rank high enough in the tally as they're counting the choices, those candidates drop off, and so as people, um, you know, cast, don't choose, make all of the selections, for example, their votes uh, get dropped off as the counting happens, and the confusion here is that people don't understand how ranked choice voting happens they don't understand how it works and if you look at the studies you know um, and what has happened in practice up in alaska uh, it really benefits uh it, it disenfranchises a lot of voters and it benefits people who can profit off the confusion of the voting process
1: and and one of the things that one of the things that i've heard is that that it and and again i would i would i'm well well, receptive to any data that suggests this, but I just haven't seen it, that it it enforces and rewards moderation in political discourse. Is that true?
2: I would say it not necessarily moderation in political discourse, but I, I, what I would say is it it console, well, it consolidates people toward the middle, right? Um, because the farther that you get from being a mainstream candidate, the less people know your name. And so those people just don't get votes at the end of the day. And I think um, those votes should and would be counted under another political system.
0: I just think it's purely undemocratic. I mean, if you have an election and you have certain people, you know, you have a number of people who make it onto the ballot. That's the election. And I go in and I make my one choice among those individuals for for that election. And then if if you don't get 50 plus 1%, then you have a runoff. And then you have another election where you have to show up again. And if the rules are that you've limited to, to those top two people, then great. I can go in making that educated choice. But the idea that you know my third or fourth choice would ultimately be the one that gets scored for me making that vote. I mean, no, that's I, I went into that election and I chose that first person. And that's yeah. who I wanted in that election to right. to be the governor or whoever. The fact that the process would then score my vote as somebody that I picked third or fourth or fifth. It's just absurd. I mean, the whole the whole the whole notion of it's just
1: absurd. Well, no, and I, I appreciate you flagging the, the runoff, because that's one of the usual things that I've heard about this. Oh, well, you know, imagine all all this money we're saving uh, for. Yeah, because now the people that the people that advocate <laughs> rank choice voting tend Let's not call that. Let's just not say that they're fiscal hawks. okay? (laughs) Uh, but the folks that tend to be uh, calling for that, you know, say, oh, well, you know, it's a it's time and money that costs the county. But if you look at implementing a new voting system, educating the public. And then, as we've seen in many cases, the litigation that usually follows because you've seated the wrong candidates has happened before. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, any of those cost, the, those marginal uh, cost improvements are completely wiped out. Mm-hmm. And so, it's one of these things where I think, and the, and again, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I think the rank, the the all the the hullabaloo behind rank choice voting and the support behind it. It correctly diagnoses that we are lacking civility within our politics. I'll be the I'll be the, the, the first to say. Um, but then it prescribes a solution that not only will not solve that because it, it comes from a completely different route than the ones that they actually want to acknowledge. But not only, but it comes with all these other unintended side effects for that, you know, like when. You know, watch you're watching TV. You hear these commercials about, you know, whatever this particular, uh, uh, you know, medication is. And it says, oh, it might your eyeball might fall out. And, you know, your you know, it might give you like, you know, uh, advanced leprosy or something like that. And it's like, whoa, this just deals with shingles, man. Like, I think that seems like a pretty uh, pretty downside risk. And so it's like, why, you know, in some cases, why would you even bother? bring that in the first place when you have a system that largely works but gets blamed for a lot of external actors from that system
0: right josh i mean the the criticisms are not about you know the the, the issue is not that we're spending too much money on elections What well, the issue is that we need to get our elections right
2: that's exactly right that's exactly right i mean the money is there um the money is there to finance all of the elections that we need to conduct across the country We've just got to refine the process and make sure that it works better so that people have confidence.
0: now, I want to get to a couple of hot button issues. You know, uh, Derek's already mentioned one of ranked choice voting, but before we do kind of rapid fire uh, on that, um, just to ask you broadly, what, what do you think? I mean, now that you've kind of assessed this and we're going into these, these battleground states, what do you think generally is, is the biggest threat to the 2024 election in terms of the administration of it? What, what should be the things that people are really looking out for, uh, even outside of these battleground states?
2: Well, so it's a really interesting question, Brian. Um, I'm gonna share something with you that not a, not a lot of people know. But one thing that we did at the Republican National Committee last election cycle is we put 80,000 new poll workers and poll watchers in place across the country. It was something Republicans hadn't done before uh, because we had confidence in the election process, but that changed after 2020. We gave these poll workers and poll watchers an issue reporting system. And they reported back over 25,000 issues across the 17 uh, states that we targeted. What was fascinating to me was that in every state the same three issues reported now because of state laws they could have manifested themselves in different ways um you know they could be in different orders in the in the states but the same issues uh occurred across all states and there were three things first was issues with the ballots uh, like we talked about in lucerne county places running out of ballots misprinting ballots uh putting races uh, incorrect races on ballots, you know, races that, that didn't actually have opponents or had already been decided on ballots. Um, so incorrect ballots is the first thing that people really need to watch out for. If you're going in there on election day and you're trying to cast a vote, pay attention to every single race up and down the ballot to, to make sure you've got the right ballot. Second thing was issues with machines functioning property, properly. Now, let me be clear, I'm not talking about machines flipping votes. Uh, what I'm talking about is you go up to, sh- to vote on election day, and the book, well, book doesn't work correctly. So you can't check in, leads to long lines, right? The things like we saw in Maricopa County where the, the ballots didn't match up with the scanners. So they could, couldn't scan the ballots properly, which led to people putting you know, different ballots in different boxes, having to use provisional ballots, lines backing up out the door, all of that sort of thing. And then the last thing was meaningful observation for the absentee ballots. Shockingly, that is still an issue across the country. And again, it's not that people are, are seeing fraud. It's just that they're not being able to see what happens with the processing of these ballots. Now, how and do so you,
0: how do you go about fixing these issues? I mean, are these things that you can test before election day? Because all three things that you mentioned right now, I mean, you don't know you have a problem until you have a problem and it's on election day. So how do you, how do you try to, I mean, is there a, you know, like a, like a red team, you know, for this kind of no. thing that they, <laughs> that they can, that they can test and, 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 uh, and figure out, make sure it, it's going to work whenever they need it to work?
2: Well, Brian, that's exactly what we're advocating for, is going into these counties ahead of time, uh, making sure that they are following first the state law and second, just general best practices, because a lot of the solutions for these things should be common sense. You know, working with these counties, collaborating with them to make sure that they are following the best practices, that they're testing everything properly before Election Day, uh, so that when they go into Election Day, everything's ready to go. Um, this should all be taken care of ahead of time, and you know a lot of proactive counties really are taking advantage of this. They're constantly refining their election processes, improving in really innovative ways. And the ones that don't are the counties where we still see we still see all the issues. Uh,
1: so, Josh, you you bring up a very good point about uh, you know it, 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 this is a universal good, right? This isn't a you know thing that benefits universally Republicans benefits universally Democrats, but Sanctity and security in our elections is something that's very important. And to keep in mind, especially in Texas, you know, we actually have a lot of individuals on our ballot that are nonpartisan. When we're talking about, you know, someone running for city council or somebody running for mud board or you know the the board of the library district or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, this is a thing that is largely uh, nonpartisan as well. I just wanted to add that. Now we talked a lot about the actual casting of ballots being you know, kind of ground zero for a lot of your project. Let me ask, what is what are other issues? What are issues in the broader election space uh, that you think could undermine uh, the integrity of any uh, future elections or or should I say things that have that potential if they haven't
2: already? Sure. So I think one thing that you have to look at is how ballots are being collected. Um, Drop boxes, I would anticipate, are still going to be an issue this time around, specifically drop boxes that are not secured. Uh, One thing I'd like to share that I I found to be kind of fascinating. We were up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, doing some testing for their um, municipal elections. And if you remember, Pennsylvania is a county that has had notorious issues for unsecure drop boxes. And Bucks County specifically uh, has faced a lot of criticism for what they did with their drop boxes. And I just wanna highlight this county because I really saw a lot of improvement up there that was impressive. First of all, they only had 11 drop boxes across the county. Now keep in mind, this is a populous county. It's a a collar county to Philadelphia and Southern Bucks County uh, really bleeds into Philadelphia. So they only had 11 drop boxes. Um, They were all inside government buildings. So they were only open government hours You know, not the 24 hour drop boxes that we saw in in other places. Uh, They had a physical monitor there looking at everybody who was coming in to to bring in a ballot and a video monitor as well um, so that they could provide instruction to people, let them know that, you know, you're only allowed to cast one ballot, your ballot. Um, And then if, if errors did happen, they were there to flag those issues to the county. So I think in places that are not implementing security best practices around drop boxes, that's something that we should we should be looking at closely. Uh, I think a lot of things you're you're going to see as well are the placement of voting centers, um, mm-hmm. the way counties distribute uh, where people are allowed to vote. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting. You know, placement on on college campuses and in neighborhoods and things like that. So there's a lot of issues with government resources and how they're being used to to influence the vote.
0: And since you won't do your own shameless promotion, I will do it for you. Uh, In today's (laughs) Washington Times, Josh has a fantastic piece on the Bucks County uh, issue. And you start with the story, and I think this is really important for everyone to understand, our listeners and, and viewers out there, to understand that you start with the story of a woman who I think is the vice chair of the Democrat Party for the county. Uh, being on tape stuffing dozens if not hundreds of ballots into a box late at night Um, and so it called into question exactly what exactly she was doing and there's been an investigation into this and this is what we're talking about you know that they talk about these drop boxes oh they're making it more convenient people don't have to stay in lines they can get off of work or they can drop their kids off and go and go vote real quick you know and it seems like this this um uh you know this this um noble purpose and yet now we have this example of somebody in the county you know at Midnight stuffing dozens, if not hundreds, of, of ballots. Uh, so it does happen. It's not something that that anyone's making up. It's not something that anyone's fabricating. That these issues do happen, and they need to be investigated. So, um, so I think that's really important. Again, I'll, I'll I'll push Josh's op-ed today in the Washington Times. If you haven't read it, go and check it out. One of the other th- uh, issues I want to bring up is is. I don't know, interference might be too strong of a word, uh, but these NGOs, the the this mm-hmm. issue of what you know what used to be called the Zuck Bucks, where they where, where you have these nonprofit organizations spending a bunch of money to uh to do, you know, again, seemingly noble purposes of, of registration and so on, but it seems like the money or at least the 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 ratio of money where they go in and invest seems to be, you know, ten to 1, 15 to one in these Democrat <laughs> areas compared to the Republican areas. Deployment. Yeah, exactly. And so they right. could say, oh, yeah, well, we totally went into that conservative county, but we went into these 50 other, you know, more Democratic heavy counties and did more registration there. I think we've solved the problem, Derek, here in Texas no haven't solved the problem so so then we, Josh, we've, sol- we've
1: solved about half of it and i don't want to step on josh's toe so i'm gonna let him take that away
0: yeah yeah have we have we have we? because <laughs> i know we tried to address it i'm not sure how far that legislation went or if it was included in the big bill that ultimately passed uh, are we are we secure here in that area in texas and what about other states
2: well i would say this we're getting there uh, like derek said so the issue with zuck bucks is that a lot of states did a great thing and passed uh, Zuckbucks bans, right? They passed third 3rd party money going to influence elections. The problem is, uh, certain entities are still working around that ban to try to get money into the election system. I mean, we saw it in DeKalb County, Georgia uh, this past year, and the Georgia uh, legislature has had to go and, and pass another level of a Zuckbucks ban because the entity was just trying to, to go around what was there in the first place. So I don't think you're seeing an end to this yet it's not perfect. Um, there's a lot of studies happening out there about uh, entities that are still trying to, to penetre, penetrate uh, our governmental systems. One thing that I want to emphasize, though, that a lot of people aren't talking about is, you know, we always talk about the money that is used to buy infrastructure that could benefit one party or the other. The other thing that people get when, when they accept Zuckbucks dollars, though, is um, they get access right the other side is buying access to be part of the election system and going back to bucks county part of the reason we we chose that it was um politico wrote an article uh, about bucks county over the the summer and some of the candidates said uh you know if we don't win this race then the elections in 2024 are going to be run under republican rules what's the opposite of that whose rules are you running them under and so, one thing that we're really trying to ad, advocate for is making sure that there's even access or clear access to the election system on both sides. So we still have a lot of work to do on Zuckbucks. Zuck the bans that have been in place are great. Um, people are still trying to work around those, but we also need to pay attention to the access and who is who is actually working our elections from the outside.
1: You probably I, I'm going to say because we obviously you know we're inside baseball kind of podcast, but Judge, I want to give you the opportunity uh, to actually explain. Uh, what Zuckbucks are and kind of how the etymology there works, how to come about that name.
2: <laughs> sure. Thanks, Derek. So Zuckbucks are named after the famous or infamous Mark Zuckerberg, depending on how you you look at that. He funded organizations uh, in the 2020 election to upwards of half a billion dollars almost. Um, and he he provided this infrastructure to certain uh, election jurisdictions under the guise of, we want to give you extra money so that you can run a proper election under um, everything that was happening through COVID. Right? What we found out afterwards though, was that this money was rarely spent to actually, um, on what it was meant for, on COVID precautions. It was spent to expand election infrastructure that was really used to benefit one, one political party. And uh, the studies that came out afterwards on both where the money went to what we talked about earlier and how it was spent was really shocking to a lot of people. It was a level of outside influence on our elections that our country has never seen before. Uh, it, its magnitude was absolutely incredible. I mean, a half a billion dollars targeted to certain counties across the country was just amazing. And we saw the results of, of what happened, the confusion that it, it caused and what we've seen afterwards is a real desire by states to get rid of these third parties participating in the election process no matter what side you're for this should be uh, an even process Uh, the government should probably run it It should be a main function of government is to run a free fair and safe election Uh, and we don't need other other parties uh, participating with their dollars or their infrastructure
1: well, I mean it'd be very similar if say, you know, uh, you know Sheldon Adelson's estate went and started funding, you know, the the conservative areas around Philadelphia to strengthen those voting precincts.
0: Right, yeah, sure. And I I'm always curious to know like for someone who is so um so uh, careful with his image, uh Mark Zuckerberg, I wonder how he reacted to the fact that there's this <laughs> Zuckbucks thing that's out there uh based on his uh at, at, or if it was, you know, intentional at all, not to be conspiratorial, but um I'm, I it's always curious to uh, to 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 see if if uh, how he would have reacted to that um, so a couple more things while we have just a couple more minutes left. Quick rapid fire, just because these are some hot button issues. Um, which you can maybe address all at once. Um, one is, uh, you know, voter suppression. I mean, there's been a lot of new reforms um, that people have claimed, you know, across the states that are gonna, you know, re- reduce the number of voting or reduce turnout, uh, particularly in certain areas. Have you seen any of that? I mean, is there any evidence that any of these reforms um, have have driven uh, voter turnout um, to new low? levels or anything like that
2: no absolutely not in fact it's been the exact opposite you know in in texas where we're located and then in my home state of georgia they passed the two most significant election integrity bills last cycle and they've actually seen an increase in voter participation so there's no correlation at all between uh, the passage of of election integrity bills right tightening the election integrity infrastructure in a state and voter suppression in fact
1: we can fully rule out Jim Pterodactyl or whatever we're on now, <laughs> <laughs>
2: whichever
0: whichever bird it is. Uh, and then from That's the, right. Then from the far right, a lot of people say, you know, well, there's there's got to be a lot of illegal immigrants voting and millions of people coming across, you know, these loose rules about um, about who can vote and show up and all these issues at the ballot box. Are we is there any is there any significant issue that you see with potentially illegals voting in our elections?
2: Well, I will will say the issue is more with voting rolls, generally, right? There's a lot that needs to be done to clean up our voter rolls across the country. The problem is it's it's a really difficult operation. States have different laws about cleaning up voter rolls. You know, you can technically live in another state, but vote in a state if you keep your residency there. So it's a lot more complex than a lot of people think it is. But there are a lot of common sense matters that can be done to clean up the voter rolls. And I would say that's something that states need to focus on, but it's a big challenge and it's not going to be fixed overnight.
0: Well, Josh, we've had a lot of fun today. We really appreciate you being on here. Very illuminating as we get into uh, the election season and then eventually into the silly season, as they call it, uh, n- uh, next year. Uh, so we'll probably have you back at some point uh, to see how it's going because these efforts are ongoing and we're trying to get reforms and reports and things done in these states. So we'd love to have you back uh, to kind of see how it's going, maybe maybe sometime in, uh, after the primaries uh, to see how the, the effort is, uh, is, is succeeding.
2: Great. I really appreciate it. There's a lot of work to be done on election integrity, but I want people to have confidence in their vote. And that's what we're working toward.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, the viewers and the listeners, again, for, for watching. Uh, if you have any comments, feedback, or if you have any show ideas, of course, you can reach Derek and I both <clears throat> on X or Twitter or whatever the heck we're calling it. This I refuse week. to change. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe on the, the MySpace. I think Derek still has a, a profile there. Um, Tom's in my top eight. Um, so uh, so thank you for listening, thank you for, uh, for watching. And uh, as always, as we like to close the Sam Houston quote, "Do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time.